Some sweat hog mama with a face like a gent said my get up and go must have got up and went. Welcome to Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited. My name is Corey Morissette. Having to do that lyric off the top of my head because I was unprepared completely today. I knew this show was coming. Uh, had my time wrong. Uh, had all my, everything was set up wrong. Uh, just wasting poor Scott Haskins time. I uh, even forgot to bring the quote up. So I just said kind of the first thing that popped in my head. God, it's got to go up from here, doesn't it? Uh, let's ask my good buddy. The sexiest man of podcasting, Scott Haskin. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing great, Corey. And it's funny that you pick that quote because I just said that the other day. I was having a day, I think it was Sunday maybe, um, where I was just completely off my game. And uh, somebody asked me how I was doing. And I said, my get up and go must have got up and went. <laughs> so we're we're just in that Aerosmith frequency, I guess. It, it is one of my favorite lines uh, of all time. And I do have something interesting to share, though. Oh, I good. think it was last week when we were theorizing that Kiss, not being a tour, could do a residency at the Vegas Sphere mm-hmm. because it wouldn't be a tour, so it wouldn't count against them having a farewell tour. Uh, Paul Stanley actually was asked about that very thing, and he said no. He had a good reason. I, I get where he's coming from. He said a show at the Vegas Sphere is not about watching the band. It's about watching the show. And with Kiss, you have to watch them. Well, that's debatable. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of times people are going to Kiss nowadays for the show because Paul doesn't sing like he used to. And actually, uh, this is going to lead to my main topic here before we get going here tonight too, is I rented the uh, Kiss uh, pay-per-view of the final show where Gene did the whole show with a, a kidney stone uh, blocking his urethra and in a tremendous amount of pain. The fact he finished the show is amazing. Wow. Like his, his pain tolerance must be through the roof. Yeah. But uh, like Paul Stanley didn't sound great. Of course, he's just coming off that flu that almost killed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the show I saw in Saskatoon uh, you know, was a lot more livelier and he sounded better. But what they announced at the end of that show was uh, a lot of people are speculating what's, what's KISS 2.0 going to be. Right. And I always kind of thought they were going to get like four kids to do a reality show, right? Find four kids to put the makeup on and they could tour as Kiss. Right. And, uh, you know, and I, you know, it's live musician stuff. They're actually going a different route. They created uh, digital avatars of themselves. They got Industrial Light and Magic and the company that worked on the ABBA uh, avatars from last year. Mm-hmm. And, and that's going to be the band now is this uh, Kiss avatar show that's going to tour the globe. And my question to you is, like, I don't, I don't want to sit in a, in a hockey rink and watch uh, cartoons. Like, if, if I'm going to watch a movie, if you're telling me a story, that's an animated movie. That's different. Right. To, to go watch, uh, you know, Kiss Avatars per, perform a, a two and a half hour show, I, I don't think I'd be spending money on that. Okay. So we're not talking about, like, holograms that were captured from live concerts or anything. We're talking, like, cartoonish avatars? Yeah, they got, uh, uh, like, full motion capture done. Of them uh-huh. performing songs, okay, and and I, I'm assuming that they you know they played and sang along because they're gonna that's gonna be the soundtrack kind of like what Abbott did, uh, and yeah, it's gonna be like a, a, on a giant screen, uh, no holograms, and it's good and you know the Gene Avatar flies because he's got demon wings and Ace is the spaceman and it's gonna have a right. whole bunch of horse shit to it, but it's still gonna be 
78-year-old men uh, singing these songs uh, while you're watching a cartoon of them. Yeah. Um, even even just to speak to the hologram concept, I remember when uh, th that was announced that Dio was going to have a, a hologram tour, and I thought, you know, there's a certain... There's a certain thing to me about the energy, right? If it's programmed, if it's not alive, it's like when, it's like playing to a, a click live or playing to tracks live. The biggest challenge with it is that you're stuck in that click. You can't do anything spontaneous. If a jam is going really well, you can't extend it. Uh, everything is exactly the same. So if you see the show once, you're done. And I like seeing bands that are alive when they play live where it's, you know, we might play a little faster one night. We might play it a little slower the next night. We might extend it. Um, that to me is a concert. Other than that, you might as well show it in a movie theater or on a, like a pay-per-view screen. Um, you don't get the energy of the people being there. And that to me is what live music is all about. So if, if it's 100% a movie, that's not a concert to me. Now, uh, on your screen share, are you seeing uh, the KISS avatars here? I just brought them up. Um, wow. What is the, who is the the 90-foot uh, god on the left? This guy? Yeah, it's like way out of proportion. Well, he he's kind of floating, I think. that That's that that's the Spaceman character. That's what Ace Frehley used to be. That's Tommy Thayer now. Okay. And then there's Paul Stanley, the star child beside him. Yeah. And then there's Gene, of course, with the horns and the... He's floating there and, he, you know, fire coming out of his head. And then the Peter Chris slash Eric Singer uh, Catman. Okay. To me, this is the equivalent of them going on the Muppet show or having a Saturday morning cartoon. Um, this would not be something I would go pay $80 to see in a concert venue. Uh, if I liked the band enough, uh, and I'm not that big of a fan of theirs, but if I liked the band enough, I would maybe go see this in the theater for the sound quality. Mm -hmm. And there's probably some really cool visuals, I would imagine, especially if ILM was doing it. But would I look at it as a concert? No. No, if this was a KISS animated feature film shown in theaters with these avatars and they play songs and they do a story too, Phantom yeah. of the Park 2, or I don't know, that's fine. I, I would probably, you know, plop down 15 bucks. Mm -hmm. If you had to pay concert ticket prices to, to go see a show. What did Paul Stanley say about the sphere? It, it, it's about the show at the sphere, not the band. How is this right. about the band? This is all show. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I wouldn't want to stand there for two hours and watch this either. I think there's a, there's another perception to it is if you're standing there watching live music, you're supporting the band, you're into it, you're physical. If you're watching it as a movie, are you going to be physically interactive with it other than maybe tapping your foot or bouncing your hand off your knee? Probably not. Right. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I I can't say that this is something that I would be excited by if any band did it. No, and and that was going to lead my question. What if Aerosmith decided, hey, you know, uh, Abbott did it. Now Kiss has done it. Uh, we're wrapping up our Peace Out tour. Why don't we get some avatars made? We we could bring Joey Kramer back then, and and he could be virtually behind the skins again, right? And and and, and just keep touring and, and keep making money. I, I don't know, but. I don't see the demand. Like, I, I'm not the world's yeah. biggest Kiss fan by any means, but I'm trying to think if one of my favorite bands like Aerosmith did it, would I go, like, if it's this? No. I, I don't know what the market is for this. 
Well, I think that's just it. I think it's it's pretty untested. I think maybe they're going off of what Taylor Swift did, making a movie and putting it out and and seeing if what they've got can can hold water. You know, Carl Palmer is going out with a version of Everson Lake and Palmer where they're showing, it looks like what they're showing is footage of them playing the songs that they're playing. So they've timed the performance to match the video clips, but there's still a live band playing because you've got Carl, you've got the guitarist and, and you've got the bass player. Mm-hmm. So you still have the live band, but then on the screens, you've got Keith and, and, you know, John. So, or, uh, uh, so that I think I'm, I'm borderline on. Yeah. At least you got it's, a real band playing along. I get that. Yeah. yeah. It's still live. It's still people yeah. playing and being there and in the moment, um, even though, even if it's somewhat limited because you're trying, you you have to play to the clips, but this is just, they're not even there. No, I, 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 I don't get it. Yeah. I'm sure I'm going to have this conversation again tomorrow night when I record and the podcast will rock because no doubt there'll be a Van Halen element, uh, I'm sure, to it. But we're talking Aerosmith. Uh, it's the week before Christmas. So Merry Christmas to you, sir. And Merry Christmas to everybody out there listening. And to uh, you. Yes. Oh, I'm looking forward to Christmas. I'm looking forward to sleeping again. Uh, with my job, <laughs> December is really fucking nuts. So yeah. the fact that we're sitting down tonight uh, doing a show is a little bit of a miracle. Uh, but uh, let, let, maybe let's talk about the uh, poll results uh, from last week. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you have those handy. You're, you're kind of Johnny on the spot with that kind of stuff. I do have them handy. We were talking last week. We did Fallen Angels, which now the poll we did Fallen Angel last week's show was actually laid down because we well, were our we recording. Were, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our last poll uh, is for uh, Nine Lives uh, era Fallen Angels. Right. And that's a great point. So the mistake that I've been making was that I thought I could only do the poll for four days. And now that we're recording on a different night, the night before the, the whatever previous show comes out, I can actually do the poll for six days, giving you guys a little bit more time to vote. Uh, this week, it was pretty interesting. We also record, sometimes we record two shows a night. So the poll results aren't always going to be like every week, we're going to be able to review the poll from before. It just depends on what our recording schedule is. Um, so we're talking fallen angels and this is really interesting because we had seven votes. There are no comments and usually at least Kevin Brown. I know something to say, and he doesn't even know I called him an asshole last week yet. So (laughs) that didn't do it. Uh, so the poll basically asked, you know, is this perfect for the mix mixtape or do we drop it into the abyss? And only 20, 28.6% thought it should be on the mixtape with a whopping 71.4 against. Well, and that might speak to the strength of our mixtape. Mm. Uh, and really, I, I should get on doing the graphics for the mixtape again. So we do the poll, we could show the mixtape and people could see what's mm. currently on there. Good and idea. What they're looking to replace because uh, my opinion of Nine Lives, or sorry, Fallen Angels is it's, it's a pretty good track. I enjoy it quite a bit but not more than the other songs we have have on the mixtape currently. Yeah, I mean, saying it doesn't belong on the mixtape does not mean by any means it's a bad song. We've only got nine slots, you know, and a lot of songs to, yep. to debate. So it, not being on the tape is not an insult to the song. It just means there's nine songs we thought were better than that one. I'm almost tempted to go uh, to my uh, local uh, Walgreens or wherever used to sell cassettes in the in the states, and see if they have those uh those XL uh, cassettes where you could fit more songs per side. <laughs> oh, where you could do like the forty five minutes aside, and yeah, I think the the longest I think were a hundred and twenties. 
Uh, so 60 per side, but those those did not hold up well. No, but it, I, I'm curious. If we did the runtime of each side, are we approaching 45? Could we maybe squeeze one more on? <laughs> it, you know, it's tough because, but even if we did that, then we're going to add a song and be right back where we are. That's right, because you're going to want to put the movie on and it's going to be a whole thing. And <laughs> Well, speaking of the movie, Corey, I do have some movie related Aerosmith news. Oh, good. That will be of interest pretty much only to me. But look what arrived in the mail today. Oh, it's permanent vacation on vinyl. That looks like a really nice copy, too. It is. It's the uh, the uh, not the 180 gram repressing. It's the one of the original ones. Uh, got a really good deal on it on eBay. Uh, it, the cover's a little bit chipped up, but the album is mint. That's really all that matters. I know I, yes. I've bought in some too where there's a little imperfections. Maybe it's very good plus plus or very good plus on the cover. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm cool as long as it plays nice. Yeah, that's the thing. And it actually has the original insert in it, which is kind of accordioned up a little bit, but it's <laughs> it's still there. It's still there. Well, I'm glad you got a great deal. And I, I think I have yeah. the 180 gram reissue. A permanent mm -hmm. vacation. I have to check. You did but. recommend it when when we talked about it last time, and I was gonna go for that, and then I saw this, and I thought, you know, this was like with shipping. I think I paid twenty three. Can't go wrong with so that. I yeah. I couldn't pass that up at no, all. Because yeah. while well, up in Canada, you're paying forty fifty bucks sometimes for an hundred and eighty gram reissue. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's nuts. Well, good for you. Unfortunately, we're not listening to uh Well, we have one actually permanent vacation song on the dice, don't we? We do. Let's it take could. a look at them. Could happen tonight. We have, uh, let's go over the songs on the dice tonight. We have The Hop from Done With Mirrors, Pandora's Box from Get Your Wings, Angel from Permanent Vacation. Tell you, if we spin that, you're going to have to hook your record player up, put your mic up to it, and listen to the vinyl version. <laughs> we also have Last Child from Rocks, Love in an Elevator from Pump, and Chiquita from Night in the Ruts. Uh, I, I've been manifesting, oh, I, I called my shot last week. Uh, but be before that, I was manifesting Angel from my dear wife, but... Uh, I'm saying, I'm hoping maybe not Angel, because you're going to be hearing it on vinyl later tonight when you pop that sucker on your turntable. Uh, so I, I want to hear something a little different. So uh, it, it, it's in the slot where I called my shot last week. I'm going to go with the hop from, from Done With Mirrors. That's what I'm hoping for tonight. What do you want, my friend? I, I am anxious to hear that song because you played a little bit of it for me uh, when we were doing our sound check last week. But I think, you know, I think for me, I've been wanting Love in an Elevator both on the show and in real life for a long time. So uh, <laughs> I, I think I'm going to go for that. But before we roll the dice, a little Aerosmith trivia for you. Oh, boy. I just found this out. Why, well, I, I probably knew it and just forgot. But what Christmas movie does Steven Tyler appear in as an elf, sing a song, and also don't know when to shut up? <laughs> what Christmas movie does Steven Tyler appear in? Yeah. Well, he's not an elf, nope. which is the only Christmas movie that plays in my house. That and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation are the two. Really? So anything outside of that? Gosh. No 12 Dates of Christmas? No, no. Somehow that 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 skipped my my, my family, and I'm not sad about it, to be <laughs> honest with you. But gosh, no. Uh, Christmas movie. I, I, I'm going to take a, a wild guess and say Fred Claus. No, uh, I could see why you would pick that, because it's more of a comedic... Uh, type movie. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, the the I, I'm gonna say it's half animated, so that kind of goes with our kiss topic. Uh, Polar Express. Oh wow! With Tom I Hanks. No idea. No yeah, idea. Towards towards the very end, uh, when they're when the you know Santa takes off with the giant bag of toys, 
uh, and the music starts up. There's Steven Tyler, uh, an animated Steven Tyler dressed as an elf singing incessantly, <laughs> whatever the song is. I've never seen the Polar Express. Uh, the uncanny, uncanny valley effect of the animation just always bugged me. I, I think those, they look like fucking garbage, like that and Beowulf. Uh, I own yeah. a video. I own a video store, and we had Beowulf, and we would play it on the store sometimes, mm-hmm. and it did freak me out. I fuck, this looks terrible. Robert Zemeckis, what are you doing? Go back to making <laughs> Back to the Future movies. Well, it was it was motion capture over animation, right? Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, yeah, it didn't work. No, I didn't think so. Either. I think the story's nice. Um, it's it's really interesting. You've got the guy from um, oh, I I know him from Midnight Madness, but I think he was in Revenge of the Nerds and and a bunch of other movies. Like he plays one of the kids because he's got that really youthful, raspy kind of voice. And um, it, it's it's a good movie, but yeah, it, it takes a while to get into the the style of it for me. But yeah, Steven Tyler, there you go. Who would have thunk it? Well, speaking of Steven Tyler. Uh, let's throw it over to him. He could sing a, uh, a little uh, ditty, and we'll roll these fucking dice. Toss of the oh, Scott Askin calls his shots. Love in an elevator from Pump. My goodness. That's kind of a big one, Scott. It is. It really is. And actually, you put this one on the dice, Corey. Why'd you do that? Because I like it. Because it's great a great song. fucking tune. Yeah. I mean, it, not it, to tip my hat. But... Oh, I hate this song. Yeah, we have no idea. <laughs> I'm going to vote on Love It in Elevator. No, because uh, at the time, we had gone through like a, a whole bunch of deep cuts. Mm-hmm. And it was like, man, I, I, I'm just kind of, I'm itching, itching for, for a hit. And, and this is the one I put on here. And gosh darn glad I did. Pump is one of my favorite records of all time. Uh, there's not much you could say about Love It in Elevator that hasn't been said. Uh, it's an absolute classic. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to listen to it here tonight. And I'm damn looking forward to it. I remember the the video too, but I'm trying to remember, was Liv Tyler in the video? Not in this one, no. I think she started in videos in 93, get a grip. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I remember something like, like a real industrial area. And that's about all I remember. The the, the band parts, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. There was obviously a, a little bit at, uh, in an elevator. Mm-hmm. A department store, I remember... Uh, I think it was Brad Whitford or Joey were carrying off like two uh, models who were acting like mannequins in, in bikinis. Oh yeah, that's right. Happy. I think mm-hmm. it was Brad. So I remember thinking, go Brad. Yeah. See, it's <laughs> nice to see a bass player getting some, some mannequin action. If only Brad were the bass player. Yeah. Oh, geez. Well, see, this is what I mean. Like, I don't even know where I am right now. It's been such a crazy week. My, my schedule now is so bizarre. I've never had a schedule like this and I'm the one that made it, but it's working except for not knowing who's in this band. Oh, there you go. I was thinking you said Tom Hamilton, but you did say Brad Whitford. I did. I'm sorry. And I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say Joe Perry and Steven Tyler because they're the uh, writers of this song. Hmm. So around this time, of course, they had a lot of uh, outside writers uh, coming in, starting with uh, permanent vacation uh, into this record, but this is uh, a Joe Perry, Steven Tyler composition just like the olden days. So they what do you say? Still do it. Let's start with uh, going down and then play a little love in an elevator, shall we? All right. Second floor, hardware, children's wear, ladies lingerie. Oh, good morning, Mr. Tyler. Going down. <laughs> I can see you shaking your head. Oh, that's great. 
That's just so cheesy. But, but I just you know, love the it, laugh though. <laughs> that was the cheesy part. <laughs> um, it reminds me actually of, a, of an episode of WKRP when Herb and Jennifer got stuck in the elevator and Johnny oh, yeah. climbed down the cable, which is physically impossible, by the way. <laughs> But in you know, in television, you could do anything, and he gets into the elevator. He or he opens the top hatch, and he looks in and goes third floor lingerie and other hobby equipment. <laughs> Wasn't uh, Johnny Fever pretty stoned in that episode? I think he was stoned in most of the episodes. Exactly. That's why he was able to get down the elevator. Game. That's true. Yeah, great show. I don't know if they ever played an Aerosmith song on that show. I, I think they probably did. They they, they play. Obviously, we have no record of that now because uh, in the dvd releases that have come out they haven't been able to license all the music so some bands they were able to on this last one i yeah. just I, I picked it up on dvd a couple of years ago I haven't watched it yet so i'm not sure who let them have their music but uh, there's quite a few bands i'm sure that didn't but I, they had to have played some aerosmith aerosmith in the 70s come it seems like it i uh for fans of wkrp there is a show called the wkrp cast that went in into incredible deep dive links into every single episode down to what posters were on the wall. Uh, did an amazing show. They used that most recent uh, DVD set and they explained the differences, what they could and couldn't use. The problem is that they didn't have the tracks separated. So it was one final broadcast show. Mm -hmm. So where they had to remove the music, they also had to overdub some of the voices. And to it, it's obvious, that's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> but at least we have all the episodes as close as we can get them to the original airing. Uh, but Love in an Elevator was not played on WKRP because that show was long gone before this song came out. That's right. This came out uh, August 15th, 1989, recorded at Little Mountain Studio in Vancouver by Bruce Fairbairn from the album Pump. Let's get into it. This is Love in an Elevator. Listen to the bottom end on this song. Right? This sounds nice and heavy. It reminds me of that that real low end that we hear on Back in the Saddle. Yeah. You, you almost feel it shattering your pelvis, which is what you want in a good rock song. And it, it's, it's speaking to my soul today, Scott, because I, I'm working like a dog for the mm -hmm. boss man all this month. And that's the first line of the song, working like a dog for the boss man, working for the company. Betting on the dice, I'm tossing. I'm gonna have a fantasy. Love the the harmonies on the whoa yes. That's uh yeah. Uh, that, that's the band and uh, Bruce Fairburn uh, on uh, backing vocals there as well. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm not hearing any uh, Steven Tylerisms in the backing vocals at all, which I think really works for this song. I like the separation. You know, I like him being in the front singing, and I like the backups to be in the back, sounding like the band is supporting him, and not that he's singing his own backups on this. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's uh, listed as Joe Perry, Brad Whitford, and Tom Hamilton, and Bruce Fairbairn on backing vocals. No Joey Kramer. Mm -hmm. uh, well, even, yeah. the, even though at the end of the video, he famously leaps from behind his drum kit to run to the front of the stage, the crowd around the mic with the other guys to sing the living it up while I'm going down, refrain at the end there. So one of my favorite uh, drummer moments in 80s rock music is you see him like leap off the riser from behind mm -hmm. the drums and run to the front so he can get in there in time to not nice. actually sing. 
Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's what you want. Yeah. It's like uh, John Deacon, uh, whenever uh, Queen did a live show, uh, you know, they'd have his mic set up. I'm pretty sure it wasn't plugged in. And every once in a while, he would mind that he was singing Tie Your Mother Down. He couldn't sing a note, though. <laughs> Joey Kramer. Let's let's talk about Joey Kramer a little bit. How great of a, and underrated as a drummer he is, but I, yeah. I I just love that ride bell he's playing on on the chorus there. You don't hear it as much in this one. You get it a lot louder later in the song. But I, whenever I hear this chorus, I'm always listening for Joey uh, in that ride bell that he's playing because it's so nice. It's a brilliant choice, and I love that he's hitting it on the bell and not further into the body of the ride symbol because this really needs to cut through. Yeah, And I think it really does. He's got a great sounding ride for this song. He may have even been using a different ride in the studio for this one just to get that specific sound. That's not uncommon for a drummer. Um, just like a guitar player will use different guitars to get different sounds. Drummers will use different cymbals, sometimes different heads, but that usually costs a lot of money. So in general, it would just be, you know, I've got other cymbals that I want to use for that, or maybe a different snare drum. Uh, I love his playing on this song. He is absolutely rock solid. But you know what else I like about this is that transition from the verse to the chorus, all of a sudden, the song just sounds full. And it really is all coming from the layers of Steven Tyler's vocals. Yep. Yeah, 100%. And he's singing the shit out of this. Uh, one more just note on the drums before we go back. That mm -hmm. snare sound that <sighs> they, 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 they kind of dialed in on Permanent Vacation, right? It's back uh, yeah. big time on this record, too. It's got the and this big, just kind of heavy, thundering tone to it that I always really love Aerosmith without that big bottom end uh, just never quite worked for me. And I was editing the Joni's butterfly episode because that's, what's dropping tomorrow as we record this. And there's mm -hmm. none of that in that song. It is so thin and tinny. It's like, this yeah. is why it doesn't feel like Aerosmith. I need that big bottom end to it. Yeah. You got Tom Hamilton, you got Joey Kramer. Damn it. Make use of them. Well, yeah, I, absolutely. And you know, it's funny if you, if you go back to albums in the early days, like toys in the attic, I'd like that hard rock in those days had a little bit of a mellow overtone to it. And, you know, you look at one of the most famous rock albums, Deep Purple's Machine Head, does not actually sound that heavy to me. Musically, the performance is heavy, but the sound of the album is actually kind of mellow to me. And I like that for Toys in the Attic. When you get to Permanent Vacation and you're talking about the, the trends of sound by that point, you need a big kick drum you need a thunder like snare drum to crack through what everybody else is pushing and especially on stage mm -hmm. because you know those guitars are cranked up the drummer's got to fight that so yeah they, they don't work without this sound from this point forward jackie can't get enough She's in the elevator, laundry second floor. She said, can I see you later and love you just a little more? She can't get enough. Yeah, I, I want to know how tall is this building? Because it seems like they could have just gone to the top floor and then ridden it back down again. Yeah, like you think about it, elevator rides aren't that long. Yeah. So I, I don't know, is, is Steven a quick shooter? Like what's happening here? Right, yeah. It's This isn't a good uh, premise, I think, for him. 
Well, and she's obviously unfulfilled because she said, can I see you later and love you a little more? So she obviously didn't have any fun. But enough to invite him back. I mean, she probably could have found someone else. Maybe. There are four other guys in the band for crying out loud. And that's not counting the roadies. <laughs> well, and, and then we have coming up, uh, I kind of hope we get stuck. Nobody gets out alive. She said, I'll show you how to fax in the mailroom, honey, and have you home by five. So even again, you're not expecting much. Like, I'll have you out of here yeah. by five, but geez, do something for me, Stephen. Come on, buddy. But that, that's not good if it's 458. Exactly, right? Yeah. yeah. And lingerie second floor, did it only take them two floors? Like, if they started on the bottom. Yeah, oh, I mean, if this, is, if this is a dumbwaiter that somebody's hand pulling them up and down floors, okay, that might take a while. But, yeah. you know. You don't it, see a lot of dumbwaiters in department stores, though. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I don't know how they do things in, in America. <laughs> in Canada, we use actual elevators. In, in Vegas, it's whatever you think it is when you see it. Oh, I gotcha. I thought in Vegas it was 20-foot fucking uh, escalators. Well, there's that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and our elevators do take a long time, but a lot of hotels have like, you know, 30, 40 floors. And they're not even so, straight sometimes. I was in a pyramid. Yeah. And that, that sucker mm -hmm. went up. The inclinator. Never take that when you're drunk. And uh, I'd say don't try and screw in that one either, let me tell you. Well, depends on how you're placed. All right, explain how you're placed, because I'm trying to think of the uh, logistics behind that now. Yeah. What, what's the best way to make love in an elevator in a pyramid? Okay, so if you're in a pyramid, probably diagonal missionary. So you want to prop her up on like a book or a set of encyclopedias. So now you got to bring props? like. Well, no, they're, they're, gonna, they're probably just already in the elevator. Well, I've and been to that you... hotel. They weren't when I was there. Maybe now. <laughs> you just lead her up against that and then you know you connect but that, that way the the motion but that's why you don't do it in an inclinator oh, okay. yeah <laughs> it's not loving an it's, inclinator see <laughs> i had to see i had to get that in before you did i could see you're gonna say the same thing <laughs> Honey, one more time now. It ain't fair. Unfair for who? Like, he's getting his rocks off. She's not. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, I I don't necessarily think he cares. Well, that would track, I would think. I get the feeling he doesn't care, and I'm not liking that. <laughs> you know what I am liking, though? Some tasty guitars. So that's about halfway through uh, the instrumental section here, though. But your thoughts on on Mr. Joe Perry, Mr. Brad Whitford, and the magic they're creating? Oh, I mean, this is, to me, this is a magic moment just captured on tape. And I 
just by their performance, and I could be way off on this, but it really feels like they just went in and did this and nailed it. And that was that. It feels that way, doesn't it? Yeah, It does. Very natural. It's so good. And like the whole band is cooking here. Again, you got like Joey playing the ride bell, right? But that big boom and snare and Tom just, just laying it down, right? Like just lockstep with everybody. It's a, it locks in with the rhythm guitar, locks in with the drums just perfectly. And then Joe could just hop on those tracks and, and lay down just a, a tasty ass solo. And that, that's only half of it. Right. And they're, they're so tight, you know, in general, as a band, when they're all coherent and, and we get moments like this, where I feel like they're in the same room playing, looking across at each other, except for the drummer who's isolated, but he can see through the windows. Um, I feel like they're very, very together on this. Just listening to the bass, it sounds like a heavy metal song. Like, you, yeah, Tom is so low there, right? But it, it's does it He's get any it. better in this? Like, like this album, the whole album really just takes me back to like rocks, Toys mm-hmm. in the Attic era, Aerosmith, right? This is yeah. really their pinnacle uh, of their comeback, and it really doesn't get any better than this. Like, and they're, and they're still going. This is why I hate radio edits because all this magic is like cut out in the mm-hmm. radio edit. Uh, you, you you miss a, a ton of this stuff. You got to play the album track. This is so great. Yeah. And, and you know, we haven't really talked about the bass, but I got to say there's some really beautiful slides in this song. Um, but what I love is his tone. It's yeah. so heavy and he's got a good amount of distortion on his bass, which I think is, is really helping thicken the sound. But man, that performance as always, I mean, the guy is just a master. And Joe's tone, like on that guitar, like when, he, when he's breaking into that, that kind of higher register, like before the going down section, like, oh, that's, mm-hmm. it sounds so cool. Yeah. And, and uh, Joey too, when he's playing those doubles on the ride, you know, he's also playing the hi-hat on the foot pedal mm-hmm. as well. It's very faint, but you can hear it. And the blend of the ride and the hi-hat is just, that's just the sprinkles on the cupcake for me. And just a perfect little tom roll. Uh, during, mm-hmm. during a transitional piece, and then we we cut to going down, and then bam, bam, break back into it. Like, oh, yeah. and it's nice to hear a high tom too. It it almost yeah. at first I thought it was electronic because it was so out of place. It's uh, higher than but, the snare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's uh, you don't hear him hit that a lot. No, no, you, you, good call. Yeah, it, it actually when you said like it, it's actually pitched higher than the snare. It sounds like because we have that big booming snare yeah. and higher pitch toms. Very very cool.
I love that. Da 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 da. Back back into the chorus. I remember when I was a kid and I got this record in 1989, a cassette actually. And as a dumb kid, I'm thinking, oh, this song's too long. You know, we we could use less of that. And as an adult, I'm sitting here thinking this could be an instrumental and just play that for play that for an hour. I don't care. I would listen to that for for an entire hour. Just just the band cooking and just wailing away like that. Now I have to wonder if if live this isn't one where they really if they're feeling it on on stage they just take off with this one. Oh, I you bet really yeah. could. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, the band's in the groove, and I saw them play the song, and uh, it seems like they're always in the groove when they're playing this song. Yeah. I don't think I've heard a bad recording, live recording of "Love in an Elevator." I'm sure it's out there, but I haven't heard it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's not a difficult song as far as the the musicality of it. Um, this part, it's it's really about just feeling it and and letting loose. If you've got the talent to do it, uh, which all of these guys clearly do, uh, it's, it's really about just locking in and being in that moment with each other. And then you can do anything. You can just make magic out of every moment of this song. All right. Uh, in the uh, album version, it's a uh, kiss your sassafras. Uh, whenever uh, Steven sings it live, it's normally uh, lick or kiss your funky ass. Which do you prefer? I'm going to go with the album version. Um, the <laughs> idea of putting my lips near anything funky is not uh, not very exciting. Have you said sexy ass? That, that might have been a little easier. But okay, yeah, funky yeah. ass it gives you the impression she's been to the gym a few times, hasn't showered. Right. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I have to ask you, Corey, do you think this section is necessary or do you think it should have gone on from where it was and just jam until it fades out? Oh, no, I'm, I'm fine with, with, with the reprise here. Uh, absolutely. Because we, we get a couple more uh, choruses and the, the way this song ends uh, is absolutely mm-hmm. perfect. I, you don't definitely don't want to fade out on here. You, yeah. you could go with a big concert ending, but the way this thing ends uh, is no perfect. So I have no issues with them coming back into just a, a standard verse and then back into the chorus. At first, I was thinking, this isn't really necessary. You had a good jam going. Let's just, you know, see where that goes. But man, when it, when it comes back and you hear that bass again, the bass with the, you know, bass drum and the crack of that snare all, you know, baked together. I'm like, how how could I even think that I don't want to hear this again? By the way, on trumpet, Bruce Fairbairn. I was just going to ask what that was because <laughs> it sounded like either a trumpet or or maybe like a brass flute. Um, I wasn't sure, but yeah, that's a good call. Very good call. Talented individual. Uh, produced the record, sang backup, and played the trumpet. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Bruce Fairbairn. <laughs> 
Like he was very monotone on it too, right? Like it was a great, yeah. great bass tone. But yeah, I was, I was wondering the same thing. Who's singing that? <laughs> because I don't, I don't know if Stephen can sing that low. If you're a, a mid or a higher range singer, and he has a definitely has a high range, it is hard to sing low, especially with that kind of sustain. Your voice just isn't designed to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would be curious to know who that was because I think that's what really makes that blend. Tell you, we have some uh, Aerosmith experts out there uh, in uh, in the Twitterverse who have been uh, tweeting at us. And uh, if anybody out there knows who was singing that that nice deep bass uh, on the final code at Eleven and Elevator, I'd love to know. Yeah, but was it Brad? Was was that Bruce Fairburn? I I, I never really heard him sing, so I don't know yeah. if he was a, a bass or a baritone or what. But right, I do love his trumpeting, though. I will say yes. that was very tasteful, not intrusive at all. Uh, it would be ironic if it was Tom Hamilton that was doing the, ba- the his voice. <laughs> That'd be really you know, cool. You know what I didn't like, honestly, Corey, was that they took the best drum fill in the song and cut it off. That that's an Aerosmith thing, though. They, they always Joey's best fills are in, in like the fade out. <laughs> yeah, but they cut it off. I mean, at least if I could have heard the whole thing, I would have been happy. But they so. The, he should know to do that. Well, I guess it, whenever he does it, they're going to stop the song. So yeah. <laughs> he's pretty much screwed. I was thinking the same thought popped in my head, but like that's such an Aerosmith thing to do. Just yeah. Joey's best stuff. We'll, we'll put it in the fade out. Right. Maybe, maybe one day they'll do the extended remix where we get to hear another quarter of that fill. <laughs> All but right. Yeah, well. it's, it's, it's such a great song. I mean, it's, it's got the power it's got the full spectrum of sound. It's got a very stunning vocal, um, except for the logistics of the story not really making any sense physically, um, and him maybe promoting he was a little too excited. There's nothing about this song that I don't absolutely love. You know what? I never picked up on that lyrically before until we were, we were doing the song here tonight, but it mm-hmm. makes me appreciate the song even more. That that, well, that Stephen's kind of a, a quick shooter uh, well, in his situation yeah. like that. Well, I mean, he's a rock star. He's got to get to the stage. So he's got to get, you I know, guess yeah. he's got to get it done. But the thing is, we're listening when we do these shows, these podcasts, we're listening with a different set of ears than we normally would. We're listening much more critically. Uh, normally, we would just listen for enjoyment and not really put a lot of thought into it other than that solo was really cool. Or I like what Steven just did there. Um, it's It's definitely a different style of listening. So, yeah, we'll pick up on all kinds of things that we never did before. Well, I, I appreciated the song even more. I think listening to it here tonight. 
absolutely loved it. Um, Love in an Elevator was a big hit uh, for the band way back in the day. Uh, where did it chart? Reached number one on the hot mainstream rock tracks and number five on the Billboard Hot 100. Mm, I was going to say it had to be up towards the top. Yeah, top 10 hit for the band. So that means if it's going on the mixtape, it belongs on Side B, which is our all-time top nine, currently featuring Let the Music Do the Talking, Chip Away the Stone, The Other Side, Home Tonight, Back in the Saddle, Eat the Rich, Mommakin, Fever, and Living on the Edge. Oh, because uh, I don't like going first. I'm going to make Scott go first. Scott, what do you think? Does Loving an Elevator deserve a spot <laughs> on the mixtape? And if so, what's it taking off? I mean, how do you not use this song to represent the band? I I, I don't see how it doesn't go on the tape. Uh, the question would be where? Mm-hmm. Um, the The two songs that I like the least, and I think I know what you're going to say because you've alluded to it previously, Uh, My least two favorite of the nine, which is not a knock on either one of these songs, Calm Yourself with Hate Mail, would be Let the Music Do the Talking and Living on the Edge. I think they're both fantastic songs, but of the nine, they're probably the two that I would like the least. So I'm going to say Let the Music Do the Talking would be my vote, but, uh, you know, I could be swayed. What do you think, Corey? Well, uh, one of those popped in my head. It wasn't Let the Music Do the Talking, though. I, I knew love it. love <laughs> that song. Love that song. I'm, I'm actually, I'm, uh, as you're trashing the, the songs I love the most, I'm thinking we need to do a revisit episode because we never talked about that song. That was a song John and I did way, ah. way back in the day. So maybe we give that a, a fresh listen. Maybe okay. we each present a song, each present a song for a show for a revisit. Maybe thinking, hey, you know what? Maybe we screwed up the first time when it's mm. not on there. Or okay. in this case, Maybe I like it less and decide to take it off, or maybe I convince you that it deserves to stay on. But um, Living on the Edge was one that, that popped out to me too. Uh, also Eat the Rich. They both Get mm. a Grip uh, tracks uh, kind of jumped out at me. Uh, and I, I love both, uh, obviously. But um, man, okay. if I was going to take something off, uh, I wouldn't be uh, heartbroken too bad about Living on the Edge. Yeah, I could go with Living on the Edge or Eat the Rich. I would say between the two of those, um, Living on the Edge pops into my head a lot more than Eat the Rich, but we also reviewed Living on the Edge much more recently. So, right. you know, Eat the Rich was a while back. So uh, that makes it a little bit tougher. But I, I would be willing to take off Living on the Edge. I think it's a great song, but I don't think, compared to all their other tracks, I, I wouldn't say, we kind of put it on there knowing that it, probably wouldn't stand the test of time. Yeah, I think there's a repetitive factor to living on the edge that hurts yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Especially because it's verse chorus, like the verse chorus structure. Yeah. It, it never really changes. Whereas this song, you, you've got great little mix-ups. Even just the transition from, it kind of hope we get stuck. Nobody, like uh, that little pre-chorus mm-hmm. uh, that, that they kind of change up. And then that entire instrumental section is just fire. Like, and, yeah. and and they're mixing it up there too. You got hard stops going down and then bam, bam mm-hmm. like all sorts of good stuff in there. So as a showcase for the band at the height of their powers, like they're sober, they're firing at all cylinders. Uh, this song, I think perfectly encapsulates that for me. So uh, if you're cool, uh, living on the edge, sorry, great tune, great tune. Uh, sad mm-hmm. to see it go, but loving an elevator absolutely deserves a spot on the mixtape. Now tell us what you think. Do you think loving an elevator Deserves a spot on the mixtape. And if you don't, tell us why you're wrong. 
because it absolutely does. And you know what? We tell people that we have a Twitter, but we don't tell them what it is. It's That's BT right. Aerosmith. There you go. Pretty easy. Pretty easy. easy Back tracks yep. Aerosmith. BT. Yep. Scott Haskin logs on once a month and checks the tweets. <laughs> Doesn't tweet anything ever. Just Yeah, I tweet the episode. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing you do uh, better than anybody is the podcast role. But before we do the podcast role, uh, why don't we pick a song for next week? We or you? Because this was your pick. It was my pick. And I got to tell you, I've already picked. Have you? Yeah. And it's not coming from an Aerosmith album. Ooh. It's coming from a soundtrack. Hmm. Very interesting. Any guesses? Uh, have we done Don't Want to Miss a Thing? Yep. Maybe that's your revisit that you want to do. Well, no, I was just thinking soundtrack wise, because I don't know, uh, you know, their history well enough to know where, what they did for a soundtrack and what was a, a studio track. So I'm going to uh, just say, I don't know. It's also a cover of a Ooh. band you may have heard of uh, called Smoke the, in the Water. Called the Beatles. Oh, it's not I'm Down because we did. Oh, what's their other Beatles one that they did? Um we did Helter Skelter, didn't we? Hey, come on, flat top. Come, come together. Oh, yeah. From I the movie Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. That's right. Were, did they appear in the movie? They did. They played the evil rock band from the future. And they played but, Come Together. So Interesting. And when we roll that, we may have to dig that clip up. Because I've never seen that movie. I have to wonder what it was like for the Beatles. Like, I, I'm sure Paul McCartney especially gets this all the time where people are like, oh, listen to my version of this or, or check out what I did with it. And it's got to be just endlessly difficult to hear people butcher your songs because they're not usually easy to play. Exactly. Yeah. So, but we'll find out what we think about Aerosmith's cover. But uh, before we even get to that. That's right. Uh, it's time to play. How many times have Aerosmith performed Love in an Elevator? Spoiler alert, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Think of, how many shows have they done since 1989? <laughs> We're in the year of our Lord, 2023. Right. I'm I'm I think this is conservative, but I'm gonna go with 723. 723? Yeah. You know what? I'm giving you one of these. Ah, uh, because you're you're under, but by a fucking mile, one thousand one hundred and sixty-eight times. Wow. Well, they probably played it, I guess, at every show that they did after it came out, right? They played it first, September first, nineteen eighty-nine, at the Hotel Diplomat in New York, New York. Mm. They last played it September 9th, twenty twenty-three, at UBS Arena in Elmont, New York. And I guarantee they will play it at every show they do when they come back and reschedule because you got a tour. Yeah, you gotta. Have they rescheduled yet? It's I know it's still early December, but it seems like they got to be getting close. I haven't heard any uh, any news or anything. Last I heard, Aerosmith related was uh, Stephen in the studio uh, remixing uh, the the debut album again. I guess to re-release those albums again. I guess if they're not releasing compilation albums, they're re-releasing the old stuff. Well, I don't, I don't Gotta get like that, that cash. Gotta get I that cheddar. I don't, I don't like, like it that. Either. If there was something don't... wrong with those albums. Yeah. Like what we had with uh, just recently with the Sammy Hagar era Van Halen records is that they weren't mixed all that great. Right. Especially uh, OU812 and 5150. 
So they remastered those. Now that doesn't fix the remixing problem, nope, it but doesn't. it does. It does clean it up a little bit, and they do sound marginally better. It could have been much better if they remixed it, but uh, so. But there was nothing wrong with Aerosmith or, or Get Your Wings or any of the early records. I don't think I haven't I, heard a lot of complaints uh, from fans either. So they're going in and they're remixing or remastering these records, and they probably didn't even need to. Well, part of the challenge is, do they have the original multi-track tapes and what condition are they in? Because now you're talking late 60s for Aerosmith, so you may not be able to remix some of those albums. How many you tracks? Only... Eight? Like back yeah. then, you're looking at eight tracks probably? Right. But if they don't have them and they only have like the baked cake, you can't say, well, I want to put a little more sugar here, a little more there because yeah. the cake is baked. Uh, you can do track separation but it is very expensive to do it to the level they would need to do it you need peter so, jackson and uh beatles money yeah, to do exactly. it exactly well audionamics uh, my friends over at audionamics they they do that kind of work they've done quite a bit for movies and and re-releases but that is very intensive expensive work so uh unless they really think they're going to make a lot of money on it i don't i don't think they'll put in the effort so if they don't have the multi-tracks your best option is remastering um, you can bring out some things and, and bury some other things, but it's, it's not remixing. Uh, but the same would go for Van Halen because you're still talking a time when they were recording on analog, um, who knows, maybe they don't have the access to the masters or maybe they're not in a condition that they could have been dumped to digital. I don't know, but I would say if they were going to spend their time doing anything, they should take a look at the ones that we've talked about where we're like, God, this mix is just awful. It ruins the song for me. Rock and Those are place. the ones that, yeah, like they should be focusing on something like that. But because that album wasn't as popular, maybe they don't see a value in spending the time doing it, or maybe they're just going start to finish. And I don't know. I, I guess there may be some value in that. I know I'm not going to, I've got uh, original recordings of the first uh, six records. And yeah. then I've got like a uh, uh, 180 gram uh, from Permanent Vacation on. Uh, including like uh, Nine Lives and Just Push Play is the only one I, I don't have yet because well, on Discogs, that's ridiculous. Yeah. if yeah, I've seen some crazy stuff on We're Discogs. We're talking $400 for Just Push Play. Was it a limited vinyl release? Yes. Oh, that's why. Um, but if you if you look at what Tony Iommi is doing with Black Sabbath, he's actually doing double albums. He's putting in all kinds of you know bonus material. Like he's really oh, yeah. making a package of everything he's doing. Yeah, like Jimmy Metallica Page did, did the same thing. Yeah, Metallica did. Jimmy Page did with mm -hmm. Zeppelin. Yeah, but then it's kind of it makes it more worth your while. Yeah, if you're just releasing the same song with a little bit better song quality, at that point, I'm probably not buying a vinyl. Yeah, in in Van Halen's case. Um, you got two records that weren't initially released on vinyl in North America anyway. That was uh, yeah. for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge and Balance. So mm -hmm. that was the big draw too. You get these two records and plus there was a Rarities records they threw in there too. Even though yeah. none of those songs were rare, they were just from Greatest Hits compilations and one was unreleased. There was much more they could have done there, but they did. I digress. I'm going to talk yeah. about Van Halen on yeah. another show. What's the name of that show, Scott? Why don't we do the podcast roll, shall we? Well, I think you're talking about a little show called And the Podcast Will Rock that you do with our dear friend, Mark Kameyer. Uh, Great show. Love being on the live stream to that. That's another show where if you're a Patreon, you get some really nice perks on that show. So check that one out. Also, Corey, you do a show with uh, with our little buddy, John Mariano. Our little buddy. Our little buddy. He's like he's Gilligan tiny. from Gilligan's Island. He's, he's not Kevin Brown. 
No, he just right uh, called backtrack theme music. But you do a show with Kevin Brown. Just finishing up uh, as we tape this, you're just fin- getting ready to finish up the first season covering Phil Collins era Genesis. That is called the Ultimate Catalog Clash. I'm absolutely loving the show. So anxious to start listening to season two, even though season one hasn't aired completely yet. Uh, but not to be outdone, Kevin has the Tom Petty Project and Seaside Pod Review, review of all things Queen. I had my show, Uriah Heap, the Magician's Podcast, covering every single song Uriah Heap ever recorded. Nate and John do the Deep Purple Podcast, where they cover the entire Deep Purple family. They will be doing that show until 2097. Uh, the Simple Man has Skinnered Reconsidered. T-Bone, uh, Terry T-Bone Mathley has T-Bone's Prime Cuts on the other side. Rye at Sabbath, the Bloody Podcast. He did all of the Black Sabbath songs, went in and did all of the Aussie catalog as well. Paul, Joe, and David at In the Lap of the Pods, a Queen podcast. Andy and Matt have Hawk Binge. Eric and Jonathan have Maiden A to Z. Daniel and Josh do Diary of the Mad Men, the ultimate Aussie podcast. Ben and Sam over at Universally Speaking, the Red Hot Chili Peppers podcast. George and Hattie do the Judas Priest cast. Clay and Rye, which I should move that up because Clay and Rye are from the uh, the Skinner Reconsidered as well as the uh, the Black Sabbath podcast. So I should move those up and have them together because that's a show they do. Uh, it's kind of an interesting contrast between Canadian bands and American bands. Always interesting to get into how a piece of dirt changes music. Uh, Greg and Jonathan at So Far So Pod So What, Quinn over at And Volume For All, Sav, Nick, Stephen, Mark at the Rock Roulette Podcast, Chaz and Greg do Regarding Lulu, Chaz and Shats do Rush Rash, and Chaz and Wolfie do Regarding Roger, Roger Waters and his insane uh, Pink Floyd revamp uh, album. But we also have some other friends outside the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Of course, we have Pot of Thunder, the flagship of Deep Dive Podcast. We have Ken Knapsack at Pop Rock and Radio. Download the app. You guys can go on the uh, the website that I have, scotthaskin.com. Click on the Aerosmith Podcast and uh, down towards the bottom where I list the links to all of these shows, you can download Ken's app. We have Eric at Booked on Rock and Sean Geek and Fast Fret. That's all right. great uh, shows. John Geek's going to be on the show. Uh, he said, uh, I reached out and said, uh, you want to do an Aerosmith show? And he goes, well, that's the only show of yours I haven't been on yet. So why not? So look that's out right. for that. Now, I, I, uh, I just talked to him about that today. I told him I was very excited to have him on the show. And I said, you also need to come on my other show, the Haskin Cast podcast. So we're probably going to do that in January. Oh, here I thought he would have told you to go fuck yourself. No, he says, there's got to be somebody that doesn't say that. Oh. <laughs> I was just checking because I'm so mixed up this week. I'm like, was he supposed to be on this week? And I forgot about it, but no, it's next week. Next week. So next week as we record it, we're going to get Sean Geek on now. Uh, Scott Haskin, I'm going to forget you called all Canadians dirt uh, just a few uh, minutes ago. That instead, was not my words. Yeah, it was. You you said, uh, I mean, you had a piece of dirt. It's amazing what will happen. So I, if, I, I know what you're inferring there. If yeah, we yeah. only had a recording that we could go back and listen to and verify what my words were. Yeah, you're completely anti-Canadian, which I take personally, but I'm still <laughs> going to wish you a very happy holidays, my friend. Well, happy holidays to you too, Corey. Our next show will air December 27th. So we have one more before the new year, uh, and we'll record that like three weeks ahead of time. But uh, I hope that you guys have a great Christmas up there. I, I'm sure that you will not want to go outside unless it's maybe for something like firewood. Well, no, we're, we're, we, we've graduated past uh, the days of firewood. Now we're we're able to heat our homes with natural gas, just the government wants to tax us on it. So we oh, can't yeah. afford to do so. 
So we may be going back to firewood actually this year. Show them, just show them up. Wait, so let me ask you this. So we've got, uh, we're, as we're recording this, Joni's Butterfly will come out tomorrow. Should I even bother putting up a poll or, or even tell people that episode is airing? Yes, I, I'm kind of curious. Maybe we missed the boat. We may have. I don't want to root it for people in case they're moving backwards through our uh, show catalog for some reason, but uh, maybe we weren't the biggest fan of Joni and her horses and her butterflies. Here's what I'm going to invite people to do, even though it's after the fact, uh, because this will air after, like well after. Um, if you know what this song is about, or if you have some feelings on the subject matter, please add a tweet to the to the list there, because I'd love to know what people think this song is about. Kevin Brown is really good at finding meaning in, in bullshit lyrics. I bet you he can come up with something. That's true, unless it's about a snowman. He listens to a lot of crap, that guy. I'm glad he doesn't listen to this show. Otherwise, he'll hear me trashing him all the time. But Well, I'm dying to see what he's got to say on season two of the Ultimate Catalog Clash, because this is putting his um, listening ears to the test. I tell you what, episode one, three songs, took about two hours. So I, wow. I, I may have some editing to do because yeah, we talked a lot. Wow. <laughs> we had thoughts uh, on side A of, of that band's or artist's uh, record that we're covering. And that's an album I know. So I'm, I'm going to be very curious to hear where this conversation goes. You might have to release uh, some of the banter as a bonus episode. <laughs> it might even split it in two. I don't know. Like we literally got off the call. It's like that's, that was two hours. <laughs> do what you have to do, Corey. But I tell you, entertaining two hours. Check that out wherever you get your podcast from. But until next time, on behalf of the sexiest man in rock and roll podcasting, Scott Haskin, my name is Corey Morissette, wishing you all a very happy holidays, no matter what you celebrate. Uh, do it uh, safely and uh, enjoy family, uh, love life. And as always, let's give the final word to Steven Tyler.